DCM works. We haven't slept in months. We're always watching. This week, uh, I wanted to thank the patrons. Uh, da da da. Also, every time I pause, that's me changing over documents every yeah. week. Um, I wanted to thank Peaches, um, who also increased the amount she's donating this month. So cheers for that. Uh, and Callie, you're both wonderful, beautiful people, and I hope that um, this is not as disappointing for you as it is for us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ugh. so this week, um, fuck, I didn't, fuck, wait, no, just start again. Hello though, everyone, but, welcome hey, to the AFA, AFA After Arts my Podcast. Fuck, no, wait, no. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Alpha Artist Podcast. My name is David DCM, creative director, lead writer at DCM Works, and who is my co-host is always Ben. Hello. It gets quicker every week. Yep. I'm not even saying words anymore. Um, right, I'll just pause longer every time, good. so it takes the same yeah. amount of time. This is Christopher Walken. Here to warn you that this contains some explicitly foul language. And if you don't like that, then I'll put my foot in your throat. The soundtrack's amazing. Yeah. The visuals are very, like, well done. And, like, the gameplay is super fun. (laughs) And, like, because those three things are there, it's, like, it's exceptionally good. I could do it in a heartbeat and make millions, but it would feel like... Gouging my soul out. Yeah, Jurassic Park's a little more like DDR. If Shrek is a fairy tale creature, can he actually own land and want to kick them off? Where did that come from? You have to make a lot of shit up to make good art. Yeah, yeah. that's like that's just the truth. Uh, so this week we're actually beginning with uh, answering a question Yay. that kind of informed the entire topic of this podcast. <laughs> um, and this is from an anonymous donor on Patreon, um, which I don't Thank know. Thank you, you moves. He just his name was like anonymous eight eight seven. Like he clearly just created an account oh. to donate, but didn't want us to know his name. Yeah, that's fine. Which is fine. Um, and he sent me a question through Patreon and said, "Keep this anonymous, even though his name is anonymous." So I don't know how I would tell anyone. <laughs> don't tell anymore. anyone that no one. Sent I don't know how in. I would tell you who you were anyway. Yeah. But um, so anonymous asks. Um, <laughs> it starts rough. Wow. Hola, dickheads. Ah, oh, this one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm a newish writer. Yeah, yeah. I've been informed of yeah. this email. <laughs> Hola, dickheads. I'm a newish writer and was wondering if you guys had any opinions on fight scenes. I know that they're often not a good source of conflict. It's the context that makes them interesting. It is. Do you have any favorites and could you talk about what makes them good? We do. The answer is... And we will. Yes, we do. And so we will. <laughs> and by the way, this is the first episode, aside from last week, that we've actually done prep for. So you're fucking welcome. Well, How good. Well, I say quote, prep. Unquote, prep. I did prep. I thought about this Yeah, I did prep about 10 minutes before this. Break the fourth wall much? <laughs> <laughs> Ben's been working on this for weeks. Mm. No, we did about the normal version of our prep, which is we thought about it, which forgot Which is about none. It. We thought about it, forgot about it, and then thought about it some more. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, um, what we're going to do is we'll just do our top th- uh, top three in no particular order fight scenes. Yeah. Um, and we'll just go through each of ours um, one apiece, and then we'll talk about why we like them. Um, we'll probably tell the other person they're wrong, and then, yeah, we'll see what we end up coming yeah, to at the end. Pretty standard ramble for a um, while. Yeah, basically our structure at this point. Mm, yeah. Um, so we've, we've re-beared up. We've got, I've got caffeine. I think we're good to go. So I'm going to start for once. I normally ask you, but you, because you never ask me anything, because it's my show. I yeah. Guess. Well, I guess you're the co-host, which seems rude, because I guess um, I'm your co-host as well. No. Not really. No. No. You're he, basically ben, my Ben boss. does whatever I tell him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not even on the podcast, just in mm. general. Um so yeah uh, my first fight scene I had was the Daredevil Corridor fight um, you haven't seen, seen the show it. but I want to explain the fight scene just structurally it's impressive yeah. um, and I'll explain why it's a good fight scene as well it's not because the 
the action is good, but the action also happens to be good. So it's a bonus. Yeah, it, it just helped. Um, so basically, there's a, there's a corridor, and Daredevil is going in to um, he's going in to fight some Russian mobsters, and he's going in already injured. Yeah. So he's fallen off a building. He's been stabbed a few times, and he's been in a punch up. And he's been blinded. <laughs> that happened a while. Before, <laughs> but yes. Um, so he's already kind of fucked up, and he's got like a broken rib or whatever. Yeah. Um, he's had to. He's he's just basically bandaged up, and then put some rope around his fists. Because yeah. he's, he's really so he fucked. Like, he's been in a few fights in the last week, and he's really roughed up. Yeah. And he's got to save a kid from these Russian mobsters. Um, and he goes in, and it's basically a corridor, and there's three doors. One this side, one there, and one there. And he goes in and knocks on one of the doors. What's well, that? He goes in. He doesn't knock on the door. He goes in, and you see him open the door and go in. And you look, you're looking from one angle on the corridor the whole time. So you're does looking from it, just that thing where they like come out of doors and go into other doors. Sort of. It's, oh, it's no. more interesting than that. Oh sort no! Of, no! 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 <laughs> so, Scooby Doo shit. Kind of. But it's, <laughs> so basically, bear in mind that this is all one take. Yeah. So he goes in, and you well, see. Well, as soon as they shut a door, there's a cut. No, because the camera because, doesn't move. No, but the doors. Oh, I'm about to explain what happens. Okay. So basically, he goes in the first door. So I'm talking about when the fight starts. There's no cuts. So he yeah. goes in, and you see him disappear, and you see a guy get flung out, and he goes out, and Daredevil punches him. And it's the first punch we get from Daredevil where he kind of hits him and falls with the punch because he's already tired. Yeah. So he kind of falls with... So he punches the guy and the guy kind of goes down like a sack of potatoes. But Daredevil kind of slumps against the wall and a guy comes out of the other door and has a hit at Daredevil who kind of blocks it and does a flip and kicks him. But then he kind of falls again and he fights about... There's about six or seven guys and he, he manages to take them all out but he's kind of really slow and he's really fucked up and he takes a few really heavy hits. And you can see there's one point where like... He punches and the the bandages and the rope split and there's just blood covering his hand and he's really fu- like he's in a bad way um, and he manages to get all the guys down on the ground and he kind of slumps against one of the walls and like falls down and Daredevil's just kind of like trying to recover he's taking a moment to recover because he's like great I beat all these guys and they really slowly start to get back up because it's their job to take him out Ugh. so they like drag themselves up and they like get their jukes up again and he's just like. He doesn't say a word this whole time, and he's got his mask over. So this is, bearing in mind, this is all Charlie Cox's body that he's doing the acting with. He's just like, for fuck's sake. And he, like, (laughs) drags himself up to, like, the wall, and he just goes again. And it's just this brutal, like, these men are clearly fucking in pain. And he gets to the very end, and he knocks them all down again. And a few of them get back up, and he manages to take them out. He he throws through some doors and shit, but it's all in one take. Yeah. And there's no cuts, and there's a particular scene where one of the doors gets knocked. So basically, like, he knocks someone through one of the doors, and the guy comes back out, and Daredevil basically just, like, grabs him, puts his head, and slams his head against the door to try and knock him out. And instead of just, like, passing out, the guy passes out and just grabs onto Daredevil, doesn't let go, so another guy comes up behind him and slogs him in the back of the head. <laughs> but the character development we get is, like, you suddenly realize that these people that he's pitted against, this, this particular branch of this particular criminal syndicate, are as obsessed with killing him as he is with taking them down. Yeah. Like, it's their job. They're getting paid to do it. And they are disliking it as much as he is. And it's just this brutal, like... All the punches feel like they land, and everyone looks tired, and it's just... It's hard to watch at certain points. when you have it in one take, you you actually have to show the punches. You'll find that in a lot of action scenes in, like, Marvel films and stuff. Mm. They'll actually do cuts the moment the punch hits mm. so that they don't actually have to do the full punch they'll just do the motion in and one take mm. and then the motion out and the recall and another yeah. so that they don't actually have, have to, to learn how to punch yes they don't have to learn how to act a punch properly they yes. can sort of get away with cutting on them and it means you don't actually see the punches happen 
But when you have it in one take, obviously, it's going to look fake if you don't actually yes. either wallop someone, which obviously they're not doing, mm. or you just learn how to do it properly. There's a there's a really interesting interview after the fact of the show where they talk to Charlie Cox because it's a pretty like it's a pretty well known fight scene at this point because yeah. because it's like the fir- it was also one of the first times in the Marvel. It's pretty early on. It's like episode two or three, so it's yeah. really good character building for Daredevil because his whole character is that he can take a hit. He's not the best fighter, and he's not the best at much, but he can take a hit. He's also blind. Well, that's that's a pretty big part of his character. Well, that's dealt with. Well, kind of. It's dealt with interestingly in the show. Yeah. Um, way better than in the film, by the way. The film's awful. Yeah, the Com- film like, focused on him. Being- like the film was fun and yeah. good, but the way they dealt with the blindness was really bad in the film. Yeah. But in in the show, he's kind of. Um, the way they deal with the blindness is much more interesting. That's entirely beside the point. But this particular fight scene is great because it's character building for the people who are fighting him and for him. And it also kind of builds on... Like, it's the first time that we really see any character in this world. Just They're just duking it out. Like, there's no... Oh, like, when the superheroes, right? Like, when when Iron Man shoots a guy with the beams, they just go down. Because yeah. they're done. Because it's a fucking blast or whatever. Or when yeah. Hulk throws a guy, he's just gone. But this is, like, brutal punches that aren't always landing properly they're like sluggish and tired and these people are like breaking bones yeah and it's uncomfortable to watch that's what realistic. good that's what good just straight action fight scenes are yeah i mean a lot of there's a really good uh video about a lot of jackie chan's non-american stuff mm. and like a lot of interviews with jackie chan where he's like yeah you have to sh- you have to do fight scenes a certain way or else they're just boring and you pretty much just don't do it how yeah, Hollywood does. He it. gets hit a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, like he gets hurt. They wouldn't. They wouldn't insure him for uh, one of the Rush Hour films. He's the one Rush Hour, right? Is yeah, he's Rush Hour. I think it, I can't remember. What, but it was one of the Rush. Hour. They wouldn't insure him in America, so they had to film a portion of it in China for a few stunts. Yeah. Because because he, he wanted he ref- to do it. He does it himself. Yeah, he was yeah. like, "I'm going to do it." And America mm. was like, "That's you'll die. You can't." Was that the um, uh, the rollerblade scene? Was I don't that know, Rush I Hour? Seen it. I know there's a scene where he's going down the highway. And he's on rollerblades. And he's pulling himself. He's pulling himself along the cars, and then at one part, there's this, there's this like um, like a fucking huge ass truck, like a really long trailer, and he throws himself like underneath the trailer and slides mm. between the gap and the wheels. And oh my god! And it's and it's in a single take where you actually see him go from one side yeah, to the other. Jackie Chan did that. Yeah, no, he did. Of course, Which he is did. Terrifying. Who the fuck else would do it? Yeah. That's the thing. Like and when you have shots like that, that sounds like a Bollywood. Someone has film. to do it. Yeah. So of course, He's Jackie gonna Chan's gonna yeah. do it. That's amazing. And it's like shit like that's just like that's what he does. Like there's a reason he's broken every bone in his yes. body because he goes through hell. He's doing a new film at the moment that he's been talking about a bit where it just sounds amazing. He's given basically no details, but he's like, yeah, we have to keep going to different countries because they keep trying to stop us filming because people keep getting hurt. <laughs> that's, pre- that's a good sign. Yeah. That's a good sign he's doing something um, right then. But yeah, that's that's my first one. And I guess, yeah, the reason that works is that as much as the action is great, it's really good character building. It's also just the basis of show, don't tell. Yes. Just like, show yeah. them getting hit. Don't just like... And don't half-ass it. Just actually mm. show it. Yeah. And I think that idea of like, when you see someone throw a punch and... They don't really... Like, it's something about someone that's actually tired in real life. If you've ever done anything when you're really tired, you get a little bit sloppy and you get a little bit slower, but it's kind of... You can still force out acceleration, but it's always the other stuff you can't quite do. So, like, his connections are solid, but then, like, the the follow-through will fall away and he'll get off balance or, like, just stuff like that. It's it's really indicative of if you've ever experienced that kind of exhaustion and pain, it's pretty much how that goes. Pretty much. Um, So that's... Yeah, that's my first one. Um... And yeah, it's good because of that, that building. So what's your first one? 
the crazy 88 scene from Kill Bill. Mm. I was... You said you were going to do this. Yeah, I was going like I was going to do something from Kill Bill. I mean, when you said good fight scenes, I'm like pretty much anything from Kill Bill. Um, so what makes you... Okay, so I'm curious. What makes you... What, why is this one a good fight scene for you? Well, I mean, it's notable. I was going to do the chair fight scene at the end of Volume 2. Something the, the the death finger death punch yeah thing. where she kills Bill yeah the uh the five, five step, step exploding heart. yeah when he walks by <laughs> when he walks five yeah. step and dies but that scene's pretty short um like that one's really interesting just because the use of props is really innovative because they do the entire fight scene sitting down um yeah because they kind of have a bit of a they're talking and then she kills yeah. them with the thing with Doom um... and then he gets up and takes the five steps interesting that you mentioned that one that's short because I'll come back to my second one in a minute that's yeah. kind of it's a mirror of that yeah well the you... crazy 88 one is long like it's like a f- like if you include the fight at the start with um the girl with the ball and chain ah uh, yes it's like a five to seven minute fight scene I guess if for anyone that isn't aware it's the one where she goes into the Japanese where she kills what, she's going Lucy after Lucy Liu. Lou's character yeah um, and, and it, it starts dojo. with it starts with the it's, uh, it's, it's the like girl. a nightclub or something right like it's a like dojo, a dojo. Nightclub? yeah yeah so it, it starts with the um the girl and ch- the ball and chain one it the middle bit is the crazy eight crazy 88 and then it ends with the lucy Lou fight which again is pretty short well that's a great that's in the snow right yeah that's such a good but thing. the crazy 88 scene is insane because it's because it starts off with the the ball and chain fight which is just a one-on-one fight and it sort of contextualizes the fact that, like, the, the Kill Bill movies in general, they're, like, they're grounded in reality, but the action is ridiculous. Like, yes. all, of the, all of the main characters have, like, superhuman abilities. They're basically Dragon Ball Z characters, where they can just, like, fly around the room, like, jump five feet in the air. Just do, like, ridiculous well, There's a particular moment where Uma Thurman's character... Um, Literally she... jumps up a wall. I was going to say, she she doesn't run up it, she just she jumps, just jumps. it. Yeah. yeah, and she just flies up, and you're like, alright. And, like, even some of the crazy... Well, the head of the Crazy 88 does it. So, the Crazy 88 fight is just ridiculous, because, for one, it actually is 88 of them. Um, you can count it, there are 88 of them. There's a great... Um... <laughs> I, think does I don't it, know but... if they actually got 88 actors, or if they just... Ah, uh, they did. There's, they a, great, there's a great YouTube commentary of someone who go i can't i can't think of who if you google crazy 88 commentary there's someone that goes through and he examines he like looks at every single death and is like is that a realistic death turns out all of them would actually kill you yeah like apart from the there's a hand that gets chopped off at some point yeah look there's plenty of hands that get chopped that will off. kill you if you don't the, it, you're dead. like the reason it's good is that it does it 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 keeps the idea of like being a good action scene but then it it also incorporates a lot of just really good like cinematography and like sound design and things like that to just really be like if the crazy 88 fight was a movie it would be a good movie kind of thing Mm. because it it has a it has a beginning it has a middle it has an end Mm -hmm. and it has like it has comedy in it it has like just pure action it has like no points where you're like, oh, how is she going to get out of this situation? There's so much character. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a there's a part when she ends up sort of... Like, she has her blade inside, like, their leader. And she's surrounded by them. And she's, like, using him as a human shield. Mm. And it literally starts playing waltz music. Because she's dancing yes. around with his body up yeah. against her. She's and it's just like, what the tar- fuck? It's such a Tarantino <laughs> moment. Like, it is. Yeah. It's like, that's exactly what it is. And you're watching... You're, and throughout the whole scene, there's actually no music. Yes. Except for very specific parts. Like, there's, there's like, a little bit of, like, drum, drum, like, drumming during this part where she, like, is really in danger. 
And then there's the Walt and music. At the start, when Lucy Liu mentions Bill, it's that... that oh, yeah, the... The, the, the sound. Yeah, that, that um, happens literally every time her name is, so his good. name is mentioned. Um, but, yeah. Like, the... Or whenever she goes into fuck you mode. That's yeah. just the best. So... <laughs> That's the hat, the cap turned back with Ash moment. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the, the Crazy 88 fight is probably the... And, like, the... When you get introduced to the Crazy 88, you've sort of heard about them earlier in the film. And when she kills whatever the the girl's name is, like the the school girl with the chain and ball, yeah. And when she kills her, and she says, "Oh, did you really think it was going to be that easy?" And uh, what's her name, Bride, is like, you know, for a, for a second there, I kind of did. That and is then such a good line, by the way. That is oh, yeah, such a good a really line. Good line. Like, it's delivered. Really I have that well. on a t shirt. That's how good of a line. <laughs> it's that delivered is. really well as yeah. well. But then, like, being, <laughs> like the scene after that, which is a typical like martial arts trope where you show people running into scene at like of their like the bottom half of their body and normally you do it like once you do one shot of like people running in and then you pan up and show who it is it does it like six times because there's there's 88 of them yeah it's so (laughs) good and it's It's so good so you're watching it and you're like oh it's this trope and then it happens oh my god it's it's like oh it's this shot and then the shot happens again and again and again you're like oh my god there's so many there's actually 88 of them yeah it's it's a great penny drop moment and you're like how is the bride gonna kill them all and then the (laughs) the there's like a really good cut where it um when it's like an overhead shot and she's in the center and they're like surrounding her yes and then she does the pullback of the sword and it cuts it does these two cuts where it cuts like she pulls back the sword that immediately cuts to the overview shot again and they pull out and then it cuts to a really close up of her view, and the center of the view is actually the center of her eye. So the shot of the and it's like like they're they're all wearing black, and she's yellow in the center, and she's oh. on like a whitish background. And she's in a yellow jumpsuit. Yeah. So the shot of like the people falling back, and then the shot of the eye is like reminiscent of the iris. Yes. Opening up as she. Like, oh yeah, she pulls, I know what you mean. Because yeah. when she pulls the sword back, she kind of like she yes. really focuses. Yeah. So like the iris pops open and then it yeah. cuts and the center of our eye is like right in the center of the shot. So and it's clever. just like, oh my god, it's so clever. Yeah. Like in terms of cinematography, like I mean, it's, it's why it's Tarantino. It's why Tarantino's the best. Yeah. Like he knows how to make really it's, good shots. If it's he doesn't write the best scripts, but he writes he films the best films. I mean, he writes he writes scripts. He He takes other movies and then he puts his tropes in them to make his, them Tarantino. He's never films. written a script as good as Jaws, but like he films. He doesn't need films. to. That's the thing. That's well, yeah. But I mean, it's a different skill. But he's fantastic. I, I love that fight scene. Yeah. I the first time I watched that, I was, I was like, I didn't know that you could do that. With oh yeah, that like I like it was just it was I was mind blowing. Like, like I watched Kill Bill when I was like twelve with a friend, of course. I think everyone did. I watched it with my dad when I was ten. Yeah. I like it's one fuck. of those films where it's like I saw, I, he, I saw it right after the Matrix when I was ten. Yeah. I don't know what my dad was. Like thinking. my friend watched three hundred when he was really young as well. I was like, that's kinda weird. But like how young is your friend? He was like my age. What? But it was like when it came out. It didn't ca- it wasn't that three hundred came out a while ago. Really? Yeah, three hundred I was like twelve when three hundred came it's out. It's your Rob Butler, right? It's like two thousand seven. Really? Yeah. Three hundred's mm. old dude. Weird. Yeah. There's like there's actually a great fight scene in that where it's slow motion with the spear. That movie is alright. It's a well, the, sequel. The uh mm, the sequel The sequel's it, horrible. The sequel, no, look, the sequel isn't bad. It's, it's just, more of the same. Just more of the same. Which but, is fine, because it's dumb fun. Yeah. But it was very like it takes itself too seriously. Yeah, that's why I like the crazy eighty eight scene. Yeah. I was gonna say the uh, chair scene, but it's really short and yeah. there isn't much to it. It's just like the the chair scene is really good fight choreography mm. but the crazy eight scene the crazy 88 scene is just 
like it's a good it's good fight choreography because it's like it is well choreographed mm. but on top of that it's also really well just made and thought out there's a lot of really good shots even Absolutely. though it is an action scene yeah it's got a lot of character good good yeah. choice excellent um so my second one um this kind of goes back to the thing you're talking about the chair thing it's actually a super short it's barely a fight scene but in the dark night um you know at the party so the joker invades bruce wayne's party yeah um and he's targeting rachel because yeah. she's the only one that stands up to him and bruce goes to the panic room Mm. and there's the two people um, and he's on his way to the panic room and one of Joker's thugs confronts him with a gun Bruce Wayne grabs the gun knocks the guy out and dismantles it instantly and just keeps yeah. with, without snow like without breaking stride yeah. and he just goes he's walking and he just keeps moving he doesn't stop like he barely he barely he doesn't break stride and he barely does anything and it's my all time favourite Batman fight scene because it is the best characterization of that character it'd be have. interesting to go back to that scene try to identify what the shotgun is and like find a teardown video of the shotgun and see if they match up they do they do i've looked into it before yeah because it's my fa- it's one of my favorite scenes from because the there's a lot of scenes where they'll do like you know someone will grab the gun and dismantle it in front of them and it's just like that gun wouldn't open up that easy no, he, he doesn't properly yeah <laughs> yeah because um, it's a it's like a chinese made assault rifle or shotgun or something like it the way that it the way that it breaks down matches up someone did a video yeah. on it because i looked at, i was looking into it before like before this like months ago because i was doing it for something else um but that scene the reason i love it so much is that it's such powerful characterization of batman in that scene because it's like a lot of the time well, it's not batman it's bruce wayne well which yeah is good. because like a lot of the well, I've, I've talked about this before but i think i think that christian bale is an amazing bruce wayne and not an amazing batman i agree yeah uh but that that particular scene for that character of bruce wayne slash batman like we always see him fighting people that are, like, really competent or, like, he's in a bad situation or he's outnumbered. It's the one time where it's, like, we suddenly are, like, oh, yeah. It's just a power trip moment. Yeah. We're, like, oh, yeah. He can actually just do that and not even think about it. He doesn't even stop. He doesn't break stride. Like, he yeah. just knocks this guy out and dismantles a gun. And you're, like, oh, fuck. He... <laughs> That's who he is. Yeah. Because you, you have this person of the Joker where it's, like, an equal match. Yeah. Then you put him next to a normal dude and a normal guy is no challenge for Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's just of, amazing characterization. It's good perspective. Yeah, and the way that it's cut as well is really interesting. Because it's just one shot of him walking. You don't really see the thug properly. The thug kind of pops up and is like, hey, stop. On the side, yeah. Yeah, and Bruce Wayne just kind of goes bam, 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 keeps walking. And then you have that bit of humor afterwards where they're like, oh, panic room. And they're like, oh, thank God. And he just goes in and closes the door. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's going to get his bat suit or whatever. Yeah. But just that snippet of that combat, as much as it's not a fight scene, it's, again, that really powerful characterization of... Like, it just contextualizes the rest of the film. Yeah. I think the the power of, like, fight scenes are conflict. And I think... Especially, well, especially with my next it's, two I, things. I think it's conflict outside of the fight scene that matters. Like, it... Yeah. it, it fight scenes... I think we like fight scenes because inherently we love violence. But... Yeah, it's an, easy, it's an to... easy way to portray, like, a yeah. winner and a loser. But violence is kind of boring if it doesn't have stakes. Yeah. So that scene's good because... Bruce Wayne would die if he wasn't Batman. In that scene. Yeah. Well, it's it's an interest. It's like that scene is like, you know, he's you sort of see Bruce Wayne and Batman as separate for a lot of those films yeah. because you have because he has to he has to keep them yeah, separate. keep the world separate. But that scene sort of connects them in a way because like you don't ever really see him get into the suit. You sort of see him go to where the suit would be and then come out as Batman. Yeah, and the. It's, I think it's, it's and the it's first like a bridge. It, yeah, it's like yeah. a bridging moment where it's just like you know he is Batman. Like yeah, he does, he's not wearing the suit, but yeah. he is Batman. And like, then of so course, he can do that, which of course is super powerful for that film because later on he's sitting in in his 
penthouse um, after Rachel's dead, and he's got he's in the full getup, and he's taking the cowl off, and he's sitting there, and he's like, "Fuck, she's dead." Yeah. Or, or he's watching. Yeah. Um, and he's and that's when Alfred destroys a letter or whatever. But because we had that bridge earlier, it's the whole because the whole film was about the two things crossing over and it being detrimental for him. Yeah. Because like for the first time ever, these two worlds have intermingled and it's fucked him really badly. Yeah. And then that's obviously the whole point of the Dark Knight Rises is like how do you separate them? Yeah. And then he ends up killing both of the identities. But like, yeah, I I, I was just it's one of the scenes that for me really stands out as it's really small as well. It's small. Just the opposite to the crazy eight. Yeah. Scene. It's small. You don't really notice it the first time you watch it. Yeah. But as a film, well, the first time you watch it, you think it's just comedic. You think it's just comedy just thrown in, mm. but it actually adds a lot more yeah to the it's character. like you think it's just getting you from point a to point b you're yeah. getting him from bruce wayne to batsuit or whatever but they're like yeah we just need a f- we just need a scene to buff this point out let's yeah. make something funny but it so really like, draws yeah. it really draws that connection i think it's just really well done and i yeah for me it stood out um on a second rewatch and i mm. think it's really really well done so that's my number two what's your number two every boss fight from dark souls okay why? dark souls one not two uh okay why because especially in Are you Dark Souls, including the DLC, no, good, just Dark Souls, 1. correct. Literally the first few, like when I say every boss fight, I mean like the first five. What are the? F- so you got the- doesn't matter what order. No, I mean, but like what? It would be the examples. tutorial boss fight. You would probably like most players would then end up seeing the gargoyle on the bridge. Most people would meet the dragon. Yep. And then if you, the way I went is then I met that weird electricity thing before the. Before the, the, Before the, the jungle. The Taurus demon with the sickle. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got fucked by the Hydra. And the Hydra. Okay, why? That's the why? order I saw. Okay, why? Because it makes you realize that how insignificant you are. So the reason I think it's important in Dark Souls 1 rather than the other ones is... And you could kind of argue for Demon Souls, but Demon Souls is a bit weird because it was exclusive and not really people knew about it outside of Japan. Yeah. But the thing with Dark Souls is that that was like the first big... Like, oh, this is a really good franchise. Like, mm. it really uh, like opened the gate, at least for the Western audience. It was a of... super strong entry for the yeah, West. It was everyone yeah. was just like, okay, we know what Dark Souls is now. It's not like just this niche game. It but Dark it... Souls One was still a niche game. That's yeah. why I don't think as much Dark Souls Two because mm. they sort of made it a bit more accessible. And, yeah, and Bloodborne is more thematic than difficult. I would argue. Yes, Bloodborne is a, is is an is a, is an atmospheric experience. Yeah, rather than and it's just a great being a, one. Yeah, like I'm not saying it's bad, mm. but in terms of like conflict, I think Dark Souls One the boss fights are important because you spend most of the game, at, like especially at the start, mm. going like, oh, there's just these little dudes, and they're kind of hard to fight because I'm not very like I'm not really good at this I'm game, weak, and the I'm combat's kind of hard. Yeah, and I'm like I'm a low <laughs> level, and I kind of yeah. just have gear, and I'm kind of just learning. And, like, you beat the Taurus Demon, which is difficult, and you're like, oh my god, that was really hard. Like, Dark Souls is a difficult <laughs> game, isn't it? Nope. And then you leave, and, then you leave and go to the main area, and you just get dicked on. Even just the first Black Knight you fight. It, oh, yeah. It destroys you, you immediately. Yeah, you can't fight it. And, like, that's not even a boss fight. That's the no, thing. That's just an enemy. That's just an enemy. So, I think you've touched on something that's... Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's... And it... So, like, all... And it's the boss fights, because... They imp- like they when you meet a yeah when you meet a boss in Dark Souls mm. usually music starts playing and it's usually the only time that music plays in Dark Souls one not two um, is when you meet bosses. There's you, lots of ambient music in Dark Souls one, but it, there's never it's, like it's ambient noise more than music. Uh, well, never in, you never get any combat music in Dark Souls one. It's just always like a yeah. slow drifting. Yeah, so when you when you even when you're fighting just like little 
re- yeah, like it's still just a piano. Or it's, something. Yeah, it's yeah, the same. Exactly. But the the like the music like really ramps up when you yeah. fight bosses. So bosses are like in Dark Souls One, they're basically the fight scenes of Dark Souls, even yep. though the whole game is about fighting. Because they're well, the these... whole well, mm, see, I would I would agree that I would disagree that I think the whole game is about the world. Yeah, but like, sp- it's about traveling. Yeah, but you spend the whole game fighting. Yes, but that's not what the game's about. Well, that's the thing, and that's why boss fights separated. Yes, because a boss yeah. fight isn't about the world. The yes. boss fight is about not dying. Yes, which means killing the other thing that's trying which to kill interestingly you. Interestingly, is is indirectly Completely about the opposite world. of what the world is. Yeah. yeah, which is like it's super, it's super like clever in that way because it's like you, all you're doing is focusing on not dying. Yeah, and that is what everything else in the world except you is. Well, doing. normally most boss boss fights, like the best way to beat them is to use the world to your advantage. Yeah, like you want to know how I defeated the dragon. I shot arrows at it from a distance yeah. 50 times. Whereas in another game, off. you're like, I dropped a boulder and then. Yeah, another game, it would be like, I'd... I followed what the game you're told like, me. Like, I Nathan Drake and I jumped on the yeah. plane and then I shot a guy. So I think, like, Dark Souls, the boss fights. Yeah. Like, if you want to have. Like, that's probably, for me, like, the only example of, like, a player controlled fight scene in a game mm. focused on violence. Like, you could yeah. have player controlled fight scenes and, like, the walking dead but it would just be the extension of a dialogue tree yes so it's not really a fight scene whereas something like dark souls yeah the whole game is about fighting so it has you know has the mechanics of the inherent structure of that yeah yeah but like most like most regular fights don't feel like scary at least until you've done them enough Mm. because like you get so used to killing regular things you're like oh like i'm getting kind of good at getting through the world (laughs) And then a fucking Taurus demon slams in front of you, and you're like, mother of dicks. Yes, like, correct. Fuck. Like, it's difficult. I think, in that way, Bloodborne is probably pretty similar then, because the thing that Dark Souls 2 suffered from is that that area of the world was a lot of humanoid stuff, and for story reasons, it made sense. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of humanoid stuff, so you'd be like, oh, it's another knight that moves quickly, or whatever it is. Yeah. In Bloodborne, you'd be like, oh my god, it's a giant tentacle thing that doesn't even look like anything I recognize. Yeah. Or it's a crow the size of three houses, or like... And I think much more of that. In yeah, I think that's yeah. I would say like Dark Souls One, Bloodborne, Bloodborne because it's like the theme is different, so it's yeah. sort of surprising at the same. Like it's more surprising. I think it becomes even more surprising when you realize what all of the bosses represent. Like, cause it not to spoil Bloodborne, but like they're kind of part of a living organism. Yeah, and it like represents the human condition. Yeah, the game. Well, like so most. Like, there's like a, no, but like there's literally a boss that is like ego, and like there's like one that looks yeah. like your hippocampus or whatever. But like they're the manifestation of that. And once you realize that, and you realize what the next area is going to be, you try and work out what the boss is going to be, and then it's something totally different. Yeah. And it just there's some bosses in that that are genuinely scary. Yeah, and I think the original Dark Souls, it's less about like, because you know it's more of a case of like you know when you're when you're watching a movie for the first time, you don't really know what's going to happen. Mm. The same with thing with Dark Souls. When you play it for the first time, you literally have no idea what's going to happen. Yes, and they really exploit that and use it to their advantage as designers. Yeah, because they're able to go, you know, let's let's put this enemy here because we know, like, if a player just tries to rush through, they're going to get dicked on. Yeah, like, and they do that sometimes with just regular enemies. So it kind of teaches you to slow down a bit. But then you meet a boss fight, and it's like, you can't really go slow unless you just avoid it. Yeah. Like, because the cool thing with Dark Souls is that some boss fights, yeah, you have to beat them to progress Mm. because they block an area, and that's sort of forced, you know, it... They're usually pretty easy to beat because there'll be some sort of environmental trick. So especially the Taurus Demon on the catwalk. To begin with, they're easy to beat. They'll just give you a way to beat it. Progressively, they get to the point where, like, there are some that are really tough. 
Yeah, but there's also some which, like, early on they're really tough, but you can just avoid them. You can just yeah. run past them yeah. and fight them later. Yeah, that's they, true, actually. Like, they'll follow you, but then they'll just stop and go back yeah. and be like, whatever. And you're supposed to fight them later. Yeah. You're but early on, get some sick gear for yeah. And early on, it's it's a case of like, oh, it's like I'm coming back for you. Yeah. And like that means that in your mind, you're like, I have to go back and beat this. You've got a goal. Yeah. And it's not just a goal of like, it's not a goal in the world. It's a goal of a fight. Even though the whole game you are fighting. Yes. Which is the case where it's like yeah. you know, it's a fight scene. It's just so it's it's just so clever. Like, yeah, because they they contextualize fighting in a game about fighting to make it feel different. It's why is Dark like, Souls what? is super clever. Like, oh, it's yeah. just it's one of my favorite games. And I love that, it. Don't don't have a look at my Steam profile. I've got too many hours. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it's just. Um, I hope Bloodborne comes to PC. Uh, it will eventually. Won't. Yeah. Um, it will eventually, but probably not before Dark Souls Three. Which yeah. I'm super excited for. Um, I've watched some of the pre-release footage, not too much, because I don't like to watch too much of it, but it's pretty promising. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Dark Souls meets Bloodborne, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's good. Bloodborne <laughs> was so good. Um, good, good choice. Your number I, two. I agree. Uh, I already did my number two. Your number three. My, my number three is... Um, <laughs> your number two. Your number three. Your I'm number, number three. four. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who's on the first? Um, so my, my number three is Hay versus Way in Darker Than Black. This is, the, this is the anime I've been watching. Yeah. And... Anyone that has been listening to this for any of the time knows I hate anime with a passion. Yeah, I hate um, it as well. But this is by far the best fight scene I've ever seen in anything that is... Like, it's trying to be a fight scene, but it knows that. So yeah. basically, the context of the fight scene is that if you know nothing about Dark and the Black, which is basically everyone, basically... Yeah, <laughs> including me. Basically, you have the main character, Hei. So hey. H-E-I. Hey, what? It's a Japanese name. H-E-I. H-E-I. Hei. Oh yeah, but I'll call him the Reaper because that's hi. what he, he he gets known as. So these hi 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 no, it's just hey. Right. Like it's you literally say it hey. All right. Hey. Um, but yeah, so the Reaper, which is what he gets called when he's in this particular persona. So it's the Reaper fighting Way, and Way is this kind of Way is this character who has this power where, um, if his blood is on an object and he clicks his fingers, the blood explodes. Okay. So like if he if he if he cut his wrist and threw blood on you and then clicked, your chest would explode. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so that's his power, right? <laughs> and so uh, the the Reaper, hey, his his power is that he can um, he can electrocute people with his with his hands. So he so has it's force lightning. Uh, no, so it's just contact. Oh, so it's touch force lightning. Yeah, but what he's got is he's got this grappling system that eventually Attack on Titan would steal. <laughs> yeah, um, I was gonna say the thing of like, Attack on literally Titan. beat the beat. Yeah, um, they just made it a little more ridiculous. So his basically is just a grappling thing where he throws. It's got a knife on the end and it's attached to like a steel. He's got like a thing in his pack. Yeah. It is attached to the back of him, and it's like a grappling hook, but it's got a knife on the end. So he throws that round stuff to, to grappling up or grappling down or, or throws it at people it's to stab them. But they're metal, so he can electrocute through them. Uh, so if yeah. he hits you with a knife, he can electrocute you. Yeah. So he's going up against his character Way, who also has this ranged attack with this blood. And so the fight begins pretty briefly, and like they have this sort of they have some dialogue, but he doesn't really none of them say much. And the conflict is built initially before the episode, and you have this clear sense of stakes because there's a whole bunch of characters that need to survive this for any of them to get out of it in one piece. And so you have um, Hay's thing. So Hay's character is super quick, but he's not really that good at much else. So he's really quick, and he's really good at throwing these knives and grappling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the best of the contractors, which is these people with powers, because he wasn't a contractor when he first started killing people. So he doesn't rely on his powers that much. Yeah. So he uses these knives and stuff, and he's been using this knife grappling hook thing for years. 
And so this fight scene, they're on this rooftop. Um, it's kind of like a rooftop greenhouse or whatever. So there's lots of glass and shit. Yeah. And it's a pretty short fight scene. It's about 30 seconds, yeah. if that. Um, and so Wei comes up and they sort of have this initial dialogue and, you know, uh, he throws his blood. Wei throws his blood and then, you know, you have Hay grappling away to get away from the blood. And they have this, they have this really intense, like, him throwing blood and there's some punching and stuff and some knives thrown that are blocked or whatever um, on, like, the edge of a rooftop. So it's pretty dangerous. You think yeah. one of them's going to fall at any time. Um, and then Wei throws... They kind, they kind of... They jump at each other and Wei throws his blood and, and Hay tries to electrocute him. And he swings a knife and misses by, like, that much. And you see the electricity kind of, like, scrape across like Wei's face. With like, yeah. yeah, with, like, this... Yeah, it's this amazing, like, slow-mo shot where it arcs. And they land and Hay looks back at Wei and he's got blood on his mask because Hay wears a mask because he's the Black Reaper. Yeah. Um, and he clicks his fingers and, and, and Hay goes, f- like, explodes and falls off the building. Ah. And so Wei's, like sick killed the cunt yeah and so then we get a few more minutes of the show different characters or whatever in this building and um way is in a boardroom and he's about to kill some characters um and hey bursts through oh, the window God. and throws a knife through his neck and electrocutes him to death um and he doesn't he doesn't kill him no, he doesn't kill him immediately he, he yeah so he throws i think no he doesn't spin yeah he kicks he kicks in through the window kicks way to the ground yeah um and reaches down and because way is thrown this blood there's this streak of blood that he's gonna electrocute through and so Hay's got his fingers on the blood about to electrocute him and Wei's like how the fuck did you like what the fuck and he's like and Hay's like well like you're quick but I'm the I'm the quickest or whatever the line is yeah. um, and it flashes back and, and Hay cuts his own wrist and covers his face in blood and then has a bomb that he throws at himself and then jumps off the balcony to trick Wei to thinking that he's dead. Oh, okay. And it just... The, but, like, the amount of time that it happened in is so minute. Yeah. And then Hay's like... And he shows him the wrist. And Wei's like, fuck. And then he just electrocutes him to death. But it's a super violent, like... Because yeah. there's not that much blood. So it's coming in through three or four points. They just arc through this dude and they just, like, fry him instantly. <laughs> and it's just... The, the reason I think it's one of my favorite fight scenes is that it happens super fast. Yeah. Like, it's done and over. Because uh, that's how real fight scenes are in real life. If you ever fought again, yeah. it's pretty much done in like one or two punches. Yeah. Like you're not getting up. But the reason it works really well is that you have these two characters who are both known for being super duper quick, and you don't really have a sense. This is only like six or seven episodes in of a seventeen. Oh, it's like twenty-seven episodes of that season. Yeah. If you don't really know this character, the main character, very well, but he wins because he's smarter, and it's just really good characterization of that character. Plus the way that they do the animation is very kind of... Um, whilst everything is happening really quickly, you can see the impact of each movement and blow. So you're never like, oh, I wonder... You know, like, sometimes in fight scenes, someone will throw a punch, and you're like, well, I don't really feel like it connected or do anything. Most anime fight scenes will do that. Yeah. They'll whereas, just... Instead of throwing three good punches, they'll throw 20 shit ones. Yeah. Whereas in this one, like, they only exchange four or five actual hits. Yeah. It's more about this movement, him trying to avoid the blood, you know, way trying to avoid the, the grappling knife or whatever. And then it just comes down to the fact that Hay was smarter and got the jump on him. Yeah. And it's like, they're clearly evenly matched. And it was just that nice, they evenly match combatants and then Hay won because he's smart. And that's, that's kind of like, it, it, it kind of bleeds into the character later on. And it's just a really good jumping off point to understand a character. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, that's why it's, I think it's one of my favorite fight scenes of all time now. And I don't even like anime. As we've talked about <laughs> fucking before. Fucking hate anime. Yeah. Fuck, fuck yeah. anime. But also it's all right. Yeah, it can be alright. Alright, what's your number three, Ben? It's a movie. Oh, yeah. Which has zero fight scenes in it. Okay. It's called 12 Angry Men. Okay. And it's a black and white film from 1957. Okay. So... Explain yourself. Yep. So... (laughs) What? 
fight scenes. Mm. They're about conflict. Yeah. And, you know, you know, fight scenes are about throwing punches mm. to kill people. Or swords or blasts or, various or, things. or beams. And... But, you know, we've talked about the important part mm. of a fight scene yeah. is the context. Yes. And what comes out of it. Yes. And, like, how it ends and why it ends. Yes. And why it starts. Yes. So 12 Angry Men is, like, an hour long, or an hour and a half long film mm-hmm. about 12 unnamed, like, strangers who are in a jury. And they have to decide whether, like, a boy is guilty or not guilty of murder. Yeah. And if he's found, if they figure out that he's guilty, he gets sent to the electric chair and he gets killed. Yeah. And if they find he's not guilty, then, you know, whatever. He's not guilty. Yeah. So there's these 12 guys and the movie just starts in the jury room as they've just been dismissed from the courtroom. Yeah. And they've basically been told you have to make a decision. That's You have to come to a decision, but it has to be unanimous. You either all have to say guilty or all have to say no guilty. That's yep. just jury. And oh, yeah, for those of you at home who don't know that, in a, particularly in America, that's how that used that's to work. That's the house, yeah, it's how the US jury works. You yeah. you have to basically come to a unanimous decision. In Australia, it's to do with reasonable doubt, so it depends on the size of the jury. Yeah, well. you have to, it also has to be with, you have to make a decision without reasonable doubt. Yeah, so like in this case, like, so in Australia, it's a bit different because reasonable doubt in Australia is to do more with the number of people in the jury, but it's, yeah, yeah it's near that. Uh, but in, like in this, because like the, the, the case doesn't really matter, well, it does matter, but like, the idea is that they all have to make one decision. Yes. So the movie starts out, and you're hearing some of like the people talk as they're getting ready to like, you know, proceed with jury stuff, and it's mm. just them in the room. There's no like officials in there or anything. Yeah. And there's one guy, and he says, "You know, let's just let's have a preliminary vote. Let's see how we stand because we, you know, we might all believe that he's guilty, and we can just get out of here, get out of here quick." Yeah. So they go around the room. And they decide, let's have, let's just do like a, I think they originally do a blind vote. So they yeah. just write down what they think on a piece of paper and hand it up. And they, they found out that there's one guy who said not guilty. Yeah. So then they're like, okay, I guess we're gonna, <laughs> I guess yeah. we're gonna figure this out. So the whole movie is this one guy who basically believes that, you know, we shouldn't just say he's guilty because he doesn't believe without a reasonable doubt that he is guilty. No, he has, he feels that, you know, there could be some reason as to why he's not guilty. Yes. But the way, you know, it's, and like, he eventually comes like, yeah, I was the one that says not guilty. And it's really interestingly, like the way it's sort of shown the perspective is that at the start, most people like, they were like, oh, let's go around the room and like ask everyone and see, why we think he's guilty and they yeah. sort of they showed in a way that like they're like oh we could show you why you're wrong essentially like why we think you're wrong yeah because there's 11 there's 11 of us who think he's guilty yeah you're the other one out so clearly you're wrong so yes. let's go around the room and try and convince you yeah so they go around the room and you sort of realize that half the people don't really know why they voted guilty they just sort yeah. of they're like yeah he's he seemed guilty yeah. So the whole movie is this one guy who you don't even know his name throughout the whole film mm-hmm. trying to convince 11 other people that he doesn't think the evidence that was shown was enough to convict this kid because he is a kid. Yeah. And like all, like all the 12 different characters are so interesting because like you have the the main guy who's voted not guilty mm-hmm. 
and he's sort of just this standard guy, you know, white guy, white. Yeah. Guy. Like this was back in the fifties. You have to understand. So like, yeah, everyone was white. Little, yeah, everyone was right. <laughs> like everyone in there was white. It's a film. Most and the kid, white. the kid was like from the slums. Mm-hmm. So and one of the characters in the jury also grew up in the slums. So yeah, it was that character. And like one of the characters really old. He's a fucking bigot. Yeah. One of the characters is really old, but he's sort of at the point where he's just like, you know, he's he's basically Gandhi, to be honest. Oh, okay. Like, every time they make a shot of this one character, he's shot at a really low angle, and he's, like, lit from above. Yeah, so Gandhi he basically actually. looks like Gandhi. Yeah. And he's actually the first one to go from not guilty to go from guilty to not guilty. Yeah. And event, like, it's an hour and, a, like, hour and a half move of basically him trying to, like, convince everyone else that the evidence that he was shown that they were all shown like wasn't enough mm. to convict him and it's like the like the evidence that they used against the kids like yeah he goes through it and he debunks pretty much all of it like just through like logic and stuff yeah but like the process of going from like him against everyone to like him and five yeah. other people versus the other six and then at the end, when there's, like, one in two people, like, one or two people yeah. who are just, like, still holding on to the fact that this kid is... Like, one of the guys is just, like, super angry because, like, he has some other, like, parental issues. And yeah, he whatever wants this, going on. He basically yeah. just wants this kid to fucking die. Yeah. yeah, And then there's, like, the other guy is just sitting there. He's just sort of, like, really logical about it. And as soon as he's convinced, he's like, yep, he, he's not guilty. Yeah. And then the other guy gets really angry at him because he's like, "Why did you just switch to not guilty? Yeah. You, I thought you were on my side." And just the whole, like, the whole movie is just full of all these like micro conflicts. Yes. Which, if you want to like, f- like, sort of put them in the context of like the whole movie being a fight scene, mm. like every few, every like ten, twenty minutes or so, the characters would be like, "Let's take a vote to see where we stand." And like one or two people will switch well, over. Okay. So the whole time you've given you're given this like update on you've like been running commentary for who's on what side, who's yeah. on the other side, and you can kind of look at characters and you go, you know, in the past ten minutes this character's been really convinced. So when it comes to a vote, like they'll be like, yeah, I think he's not guilty. But then there's like there's all these like all different characters react differently. Like mm. some of them will just be like, you know, they'll they'll say, you know, oh, they'll be like, whatever, I say not guilty just to get it over with. Oh, okay. But then the guy came up, so it's like, no, you can't just say whatever, just not guilty. Yeah, because that you was have the to believe in the it. first place. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's really interesting. Mm. And I think in terms of, like, it's a non-action film mm. that has so much, like, back and forth yeah. kind of, like, conflict that you would see Yes, in a single action scene. Mm. Where it's like, if you sort of, like, if you take the two sides as two people like throwing punches oh, okay like the guilty yes and the not guilty it's that progressive and it starts off where like the guilty has just the super upper hand yeah but then it slowly tilts over mm. and there's like points where it's kind of you get the, the balance and stuff yeah and then you get the really good like climax at the end mm. i think it's a really like if you just like films there's like a lot of other like really interesting techniques yeah like for one it's it's all filmed on one set there's a few side like side scenes where there's like in the bathroom yeah and like it starts off with the courtroom but it's um because there is a stage show for it, which is one set. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. That'd be so good. I love but it, stuff because like it's that. so heavily. It's pretty much entirely dialogue. Yeah, but it's like it's a film made in the fifties, which is black and white, and it's so just like engaging because mm. you're so just you just want to know what's happening next, and it's well, like think it's like a fight scene. You've said something interesting that there's a big lesson in writing that a lot of people miss early on. Um, and we talk about this a lot in... So I'm in my fourth year of my degree now. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing a dual degree. But 
one of the things we talk about a lot in writing classes when you talk to people that have just started writing. So one of the things that, like, to, to preface this, um, if you want to be a writer, you actually should be writing all the time. Oh, yeah. to, I mean, that anything, just makes sense. If you want to do anything, so yeah. don't be like, I'm going to go study, blah, blah, blah. Like, start doing it now and then go study it. Yeah. Um, so I write every day with, like, with, uh, this is, I've talked about this before, but every single day. Um, so I'm always, but I'm also reading about writing and I'm learning and stuff. And one of the things Stephen King always says, and he stole this quote from someone that I can't remember who, that he references that I can't remember, but dialogue is what characters do to each other. And that is the most true thing that, it, that, that, that can ever be said about any piece of any writing or story is yeah. that the things that are interesting aren't the punches that are thrown, it's the words that are said. Yeah, especially in writing. You can yes. write down like so-and-so punched so-and-so. But until that person speaks next, you don't know what the consequences are. Yeah. Unless you're f- unless you're writing in like first perspective, like first person perspective, mm. and you can get an internal monologue, mm. you're only getting an internal monologue for one person. But it's like you need dialogue from a character mm. to sh- to basically show like like what's happened. And even if even if you don't want to show what's happened, like I think something that that, that like dialogue allows you to understand like like it's. I think dialogue is the best form of conflict because what you have is you have two characters and the the way that dialogue works best is when two characters want something different from a conversation. Yeah. And there's a really great exercise you, sh- you should do if you're writing anything, if it's like a screenplay or a novel, anything, is you have two characters walk into a room, one person wants one thing, the other person wants something else. Yeah. And you have them have a conversation and they both try and get the same thing at the same time. And what you end up having is you produce a fight scene in a way where you have beats where one person is on top and they've outmaneuvered the other and then someone else is... And you have this kind of back and forth and eventually someone will win or it's a stalemate or something happens. But that is super fascinating to watch or listen to or read. Yeah, there's... Because, yeah, that's... There's like a few scenes in 12 Angry Men where like, you know, there's it's sort of towards the end. And I mean, it's not really hard to spoil the movie because you can kind of tell from the start what the ending will be mm. it's more the journey there is really interesting yeah how you get there because like you know like if it starts off 11 to 1 by the end of it and it has to be unanimous you're like yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be 12 zero the other way by the end of it yeah so you kind of know the outcome of it but it's like the journey is really good there's one part where you know it's it's sort of towards the end again and one of the the, the main asshole basically yeah he's basically saying you know he's being told this like this evidence that was shown isn't correct like like can you believe he's guilty like can you still believe he's guilty when the evidence shown isn't correct and mm. his basic response every time is i don't care it doesn't matter he's guilty yeah and they're both trying to get completely different things so one guy is trying to say it's like i'm not trying to say he's not guilty i'm saying the evidence isn't correct yes and the other one's just saying i don't care he's guilty yes and it's that really interesting thing where it's just like they're not just complete they're not directly opposing they're trying to get mm. they're hitting each other with like different messages that aren't just like directly opposing but they're still on different sides of the conflict yeah well they're they're, on di- they're sort of going at different planes of yeah the, so something that is worth doing and this it, it it's a weird thing to do something that i did when i first started writing um properly so i because I've been writing since sort of like grade five or so. Yeah. But like when I first started looking at trying to really accelerate my ability to write dialogue well, because with the Pokemon novels, like one of the most important things is that as much as it's like, yeah, the Pokemon are fun or whatever, the writing behind it has to be rock solid. Like it has to be the best writing I've ever done to make that context work. Yeah. So one of the things I spent a lot of time on was learning dialogue and learning the intricacies of how to do, like dialogue for me has always been a weak point. 
So I want to. I was like, I'm going to make it into my strongest point. Yeah. So I spend all this time. And basically, one one exercise I do is, uh, you just get on a train. So like, I get on the longest train I can. Sometimes so I'll go from like a particular station where I live now, all the way to the end of one lane, all the way back to the end of the other lane, then back to where I live. Yeah. You can do that for free pretty much if you get the timing right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in in our country. Yeah, you can like, play the system this, a yeah. bit. And... So. It registers you as going nowhere. Yeah. Essentially. So I'll, I'll have I'll take a notepad with me and I'll sit on the train and you basically just go through a carriage so you can find two people talking. You just sit near them and you just listen and you make notes of sort of the way that. So normally what I'll do is I'll have two columns. So I'll have person A and person B. So I'll usually be like red cap and yeah, you know black jacket or whatever whatever it is. <laughs> red cap black jacket yeah, whatever it yeah. is. Um, and they'll be talking about something and so I'll jot at the bottom like what the vague topic of the conversation is. Yeah. Or not even topic but the vague. Uh, the the tone of the conversation. So if they're dating or if they're fighting or whatever it is, yeah. And just make notes on how each of them kind of you know like a, like if you have a table, you're like okay, this person said this, this person said this, kind of that, but more like more vague. Yeah, more vague. Yeah. And what you get at the end of it is you get a rough outline of how that conversation went. Yeah. Then so you, then you can literally just change the context. Yeah, and, and voila, you, you have real it, like, dialogue. It helps you understand how beats of real conversations work. Yeah. It's not full sentences a lot of the time it's yeah, pauses it's... and half finished sentences I mean, it... and ellipses i mean even and... these podcasts are yeah a form oh of actually yeah so that's another good thing is go listen to podcasts yeah. um but what you'll notice is that people have a really distinct way of st- people have this trouble where they can't have diff- have characters have different voices it's tough for a lot of people because they have one voice in their head it's yeah. their writing voice so what you should do is you should think about the way that people structure their sentences not what they're saying so we might we use pretty similar vocabulary a lot of the time yeah because we're we, from the same part of the world yeah but we structure our dialogue very differently oh, when we speak like I'm very um, I have a lot of pauses but deliberate pauses and I pace things kind of like don't. Whereas, whereas, <laughs> I just sort of ramble and just yeah. spit information out as much and as fast yeah. as I can but it's I kind just... of but then when I ramble it's very different because I'm kind of trying to get to a point like I'm trying to get somewhere yeah I when I ramble it's I, I hit a point and then turn right and go that way for five yes. kilometers. Which is fine, but yeah. as opposed it, to that... It, you come to an interesting destination, at least. Yeah. Whereas I'm kind of the opposite. I'll start over here, and I'm trying to get to here. Yeah. I'm trying to get from five kilometers to the right to back on track, or yeah. whatever it is. So, like, yeah, or, or I'm trying to go from one thing I'm interested in to something else, and I'll that's try and get us out, there. That's how we fill out one-hour podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and, like, I think that's... if for, for I think for fight scenes, like, it's... That is a really good study of how to make a good fight scene, is make it a diet, like, write, if that punch was to be a word, write out that, write out what that is, yeah, like, like, what are they saying? Yeah. Like, so if Captain America is punching Iron Man, what is he saying in that context? Like, if he's throwing a slug at his, at his old best friend, yeah. why? I mean, that Civil War is probably gonna, like, those fights is gonna be interesting, and I hope yeah. they do them right, I hope they don't just contextualize them the same way that they contextualize every other Marvel fight, mm. which is just bad guy versus good guy. Well, no, they won't, because there's not a they bad can't. guy. There's That's not the a, thing. Well, yeah. I've read, so I've read the Civil War comics, and it's not going to be yeah. the same, but it'll be pretty similar. And the whole point of those comics... I mean, comics, it'll be filmed similarly, because it's, it's a Marvel uh, film. Uh, They'll yeah. film oh, it it'll be, it'll be stylistic, but it's, it's also the guys who did uh, Captain America 2, which is the best Marvel film. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it's a great thriller film, and it's yeah. also a superhero film. But, yeah, so the, the whole point of the Civil War comic is that there isn't really a bad guy, it's just so basically Tony Stark is like he's the he's kind of he's kind of become the head of Shield. He's like the public image of Shield. Yeah. Um and which used to be basically Captain America. Uh yeah. During World War Two. Yeah, and yeah, during World War Two. So so Iron Man is now basically the piggy bank plus the the public face. Yeah. And this 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 uh organization from the government go to Tony and they're like, Hey, sign this bill 
that is going to register. Because in the comic books, um, none of the comic books, people, none of the heroes are unmasked. Whereas in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everyone kind of doesn't really wear masks. Everyone knows who everyone is. Yeah. Everyone knows that Tony Stark is Iron Man. Like, everyone yeah. knows that Steve Rogers... There's, there's museums and shit. Like, everyone knows who everyone is. But it's more about regulation and consequences. So yeah. they level New York in Avengers 1. And there's yeah. no consequences. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole point... And then, the, then the, it's the Sokovia Accords, what they're doing in the films, where it's like... You leveled an entire city in Sokovia, and also New York that one time. You need to be accountable for your actions. Whereas... And they level... Like, Captain America levels... Doesn't, not accident, accidentally. In Captain America... No, Thor? Thor. Mm. Some German city gets leveled. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thor. So it's like... But that's just, Thor, he's a god. He's, yeah, shit that goes down. Yeah. But he's... So it's like, they want to make these people accountable for their actions. Yeah. And Tony's like, yeah, obviously, because if we're not, then we're no, we're no better than the bad guys. Yeah. And the conflict of that film seems to be, from the trailers, that something happens, something bad happens, and... They think they it's, don't know who to blame. They think it's the Winter Soldier, Bucky. Yeah. Um, and Steve Rogers is like, no, he doesn't. He, that's not who he is anymore. And everyone's like, it was Bucky. Like, this is, is exactly his MO. He's literally a sleeper. He he's did, literally a sleeper. Yeah, they're like, he did this bad thing. And Steve yeah. Rogers is like, no, he's my best friend again. Like, don't, you can't yeah. put him in prison. And that's where the conflict comes from. Yeah. And there's this great line in the trailer that is an amazing piece of dialogue. I, I know exactly what where, you're talking about. Um, uh, Steve Rogers is like, he's my friend. I'm going to help him. Like, he's my friend. And. Tony I Stark says, goes. I was your friend. Yeah, so was I. Yeah, and it's just like it's it gives like, it gives me goosebumps uh, saying it now. Like I, know, it's so I, rough. I, I don't even like Marvel that much, but it's such a good line. Like there is just dialogue. Like dialogue is good when it's rooted. In I'm conflict. hoping that that is a trailer line, and the movie's even, and that line in the movie is different and even better. Um, I reckon it'll be the same, but like contextually, if, yeah, a lot contextually harder. much better. Yeah, because I imagine. Because sometimes that happens. I know in Guardians of the Galaxy there were a few lines which I can't remember. It might have been Guardians of the Galaxy. It might have been something else where... Actually, no. Man from Uncle. That's the one. The mm. trailer had lines that were like, you know, typical trailer lines like quips and comebacks yeah. and like one-liners that the movie just didn't have. Mm. So it made the movie seem a lot... like So while the trailer made the movie seem like a really fun action comedy, Yeah. the the movie itself was like a lot more grounded in reality, which was kind of better for the movie because then it made the funnier bits funnier. Yes, it made the humor That's like kind of cool though. It made the humor more interesting because it was there was less of it, so it was kind of more like a James Bond film rather Very than much so. a, a like action. a spy com- like yeah. a spy comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why James Which is Bond, good, because James I mean, Bond that's is really why, good. That's why Daniel Craig's James Bond is so oh great God, to I me. Like that, I mean, I've talked, I mentioned this before, but that scene in the health bar, when he's like shoving oh, yeah. up your ass. I love, I like, love the, uh, the, oh, so good. like the, the scene of the start where he's in Mexico and the building's falling and he just lands perfectly on the couch, on the couch. and he just, just adjusts yeah. his suit and fucks off. <laughs> like that's just it, like a real, like just so obviously shot. Yeah. And like obviously, so under it's so understated though. The yeah, humor there. It's like uh, that's, that's yeah. They humor. don't they don't like talk. Like, oh, you he, know what's better though is when he, he just g- ignores it. He just the, sort of goes through because he's it. so used to the shit now. Yeah, he's been doing this James Bond thing for years. Yeah, like James Bond has been doing that for years. And the scene where he ejects out of the car in the middle of the car chase and lands on the road in the fucking parachute, and he just takes it off and yeah, walks away. He keeps walking. He doesn't yeah. even. But like he's just like, well, this is what I do for yeah, a living. It's, Whereas it's in the first the one, he was like, oh my god, this car has a like, detox like, kit. What the yeah. fuck? Whereas now he's just like fucking this much job, like whatever. So that kind of thing, great. But yeah, so I think from a fight scene works because dialogue is conflict and conflict is manifested in fight scenes sometimes. And conflict is important. That's yeah. Conflict is story. So if you want to know if your fight scene is good, my suggestion is 
for each beat of the of the fight scene, write down what that character is trying to do with an action. I think you can take fight scenes one of two ways. You can make them like sort of metaphors for dialogue mm. and conflict, or you can make them more style. If you make them super stylistic mm. and just make them really entertaining to watch. Which is, if you want examples of that, just watch old Jackie Chan films. Yes. Like, fight scenes of that are funny. Yeah. Because, for one, everyone, you like, they get hurt. Yes. And misery is the core of comedy. Yeah. And two, there's actually a beat to them. So it's really easy to follow them along because it's going, you like, always know what's hit, happening. hit, hit, yep. hit, hit. And if, it, if there's a hit that's, if there's, like, a beat that's missed you know something even bigger is going to come on the next beat. Yeah. Because why would you miss a beat if you're not going to just follow that one? If you're not going to have a big one. one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's... You can do that or you can go the more, like, stylistic way where mm. it's... And, like, the... I guess for my examples, the Kill Bill one is super stylistic. Mm. Dark Souls, they're more of a metaphor. Yeah. And then 12 Angry Men is an entire fucking fight scene metaphor. It's I think it's just... Dialogue. It's a good study in how to make yeah. conflict. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's... I mean, one of the things that I just think is interesting is, like... And it's one of the reasons I really disliked, um... Fuck, I don't know what the film I was about to say. Um... <laughs> It's gone from my head now. Um, it doesn't matter. Whoops. But yeah, fucking, my, I've, got, yeah. I've got, I've got, I've got five PM brain. Um, yeah. So like one of the one of the great fight scenes I, I enjoy a lot of people don't like is um, that first fight scene between Batman and Bane in the Dark Knight Rises, where they're in the sewer, and he's been lured there by Catwoman. Um... And basically, Bat. So they're in they're in a sewer and they're across from each other, and Batman storms toward him. He starts to try and punch the crap out of him, and Bane just takes it. Yeah. And like. You, I, a lot of people are like, oh, well, why doesn't Batman, like, try something else? And it's like, well, because when is, when is his punches ever not been yeah. effective? Like, he just punches this dude, and Bane's like, poof, and just chucks him. And then Yeah, because that's, that's yeah. the first time that happens as well. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just... Pretty much the only time that happens yeah. as well. That's and he, the there's a particularly great moment where he does the punch, and Bane catches it. And he doesn't just, like, he doesn't crush his fist or anything. He just pushes him back. And Batman, yeah. like, just, it's just this, and Batman falls over. Yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah. Like you would, You'd you be would, you'd be like, what the fuck? Like yeah. that, that, but like my punch balance is for when it hits, not for when it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know he 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 then he then has a go at his gadgets and sees if he can outsmart him. But like that moment, it's like a fifteen second scene tops, yeah. if that. But just that that idea of like, like it's that conflict where you it's suddenly like a man who is always matched, who is always a match physically. The Joker was a match for him mentally and yeah. intellectually. Um, in the first one, Rachel Ghoul was a match for him scale wise because he was not prepared to deal with yeah. this entire city being devastated. You finally get this match for him physically, and then you also have Talia at the end of the film who's a match um, in, in, intellect wise as well. But that's the first time Batman is challenged physically in a real way. I think the importance for him, like, especially when you mentioned like he doesn't crush his hand, mm. like that's the stereotypical thing that would happen in a scene yes. like that. But the problem with that, well, the thing with that is that the way that a scene like that happens is when the punch is being thrown, the power is in the person who's throwing the punch. Yes. Because it's like this punch is designed to do damage. Yeah. When the punch is caught, then it's sort of... The power is immediately thrown to the other Transfer, person. yeah. But when you do the hand crunch, it stays in the other person, which completely throws... Because you can have a moment where the power bounces, but then bounces back. Yes. Where it's sort of, and that if you do that repeatedly, it sort of feels like more the character is like, like Batman's like trying to overcome this problem. Yeah. Rather than a case of Batman attempts and then just fails. Yeah. Because if he punched and then like Bane starts crushing his hand, 
the power is immediately entirely in Bane's hand. Yes. And then the whole scene is flipped around, which would be too early. Yeah. Because well, if that happened at the start of the film, you'd be like, well, fuck it, Batman's gone. Like, he can't do it. He can't even do it in the first well, five he, minutes. Well, he does then get his spine broken. Yeah, but and it's, it's, like, it's well, more he's... gradual. Yeah, well, It's not just, like, immediately tries no, to punch, yeah. there's, there's a, there's, a fi- there's 15 seconds of him trying, and then it's yeah. just... Bane picks him up. Like, Bane... I think Bane throws about four or five punches. Then Batman gets up and has another... So they, Batman has his initial interaction. He gets shoved backwards. He goes again. Bane shoves him back. He goes again. Bane throws three or four punches. Batman is, like, down for the count. Yeah. Batman's like, all right, he tries some gadgets and some darkness or whatever. And then he goes in for a final attempt. Bane just, like, deflects it, picks him up, and just drops him on his knee. Yeah, and that it builds it up rather yes. than it just being, like, attempt, fail, end scene. Yeah. It builds it up, which makes you go like, okay, maybe he might be able to pull this off. Yeah. No, never mind. Bane's actually really strong. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, like, I think, I mean, because I've read a lot of Batman comics in, like, very, like, a lot of Batman comics when I was yeah. much younger. <laughs> and, like, one of the things that I think they did really well is that, like, the, there's only two scenes that I'll talk about before we kind of move on from Batman, but, like, one of the best scenes is in Batman Year One, and it's told from Jim Gordon's perspective, who is leading a SWAT team into yeah. an abandoned warehouse where Batman is. And Batman's belt is empty of gadgets. So we get it from both perspectives. Batman's he's he's used all of his gadgets because it's just one belt at this yeah. point. Like he's not he's used all of his gadgets, he's got basically nothing left, and there's this SWAT team of like twelve dudes coming in. Yeah. And so you get it initially from Jim Gordon's perspective, where he's on the radio to his SWAT guys, and they go into this building and they slowly start to start to disappear one by one. Yeah. And they get all taken out, and they're like, oh my god, this dude is like a shadow, like, I can't fucking believe he did this. Oh my god. And then it's Batman, you realize when he's Batman's actually... Perspective, com- he's he is, fucked. He is duking it out. Like, he yeah, is just... He's, absolutely- like, shitting his pants. Yeah, so, like, well, because he's like, I've got no tools. Yeah. All he's got is the fact that it's dark, and there's a few... There's one particular great moment where he goes to grab a guy and stranglehold him, but he fucks it up because he's tired, and he's got blood on one of his arms because he was previously injured, so he's injured and tired. He's got no- and he slips because he's got blood in his arm, and this guy, like, gets out of his reach... And he goes to punch him and misses and breaks his knuckle on, like, a oh, cinder brick wall. And just this moment where, like, Batman is in sheer panic and just throws himself at this guy with no idea of what he's going to... Like, he just shoulder checks yeah. him. And he knocks him to the ground. And then there's this great moment where you got Batman's thought bubble of, like, ah, oh, shit. And the guy just, like, <laughs> grabs Batman's legs and hoists him to the ground. And it's just this great moment of, like... Fuck! Like this. This yeah. is like he's got nothing left. Try so hard. But from the other end, so far. it works because you got from the other end where it's like They're this mystical force, and yeah. it's like this myth. And yeah. you get like Batman's end where he's just covered in blood and he's having a bad day. But... Yeah. And then the best Batman v Superman fight of all time, which is in Hush, where um, basically Batman gets oh sorry Superman gets corrupted by Poison Ivy. Yeah. And she's like, bloody kill the Batman. <laughs> and Batman is, he's, he's teaming up with Catwoman at the time. And he's like, okay, I've got a kryptonite ring. Because at this point in the universe, he's prepared for all of the Justice League. He's, got, he's like, I've got a kryptonite ring. That's all I've really got to fight Superman. Because <laughs> there's nothing else that really works. Yep. But he's like, I've got a plan. I think I can take him out. Or at least distract him long enough for Catwoman to get away to do something else. Yep. So Catwoman's plan is to drop Lois Lane out of a building. And Superman will snap out of it and save her. Yeah. That's the plan. That's the plan. So Batman's job is to distract Superman long enough. Because that is Superman beating... That is Batman beating Superman. Because he can never beat him in a physical fight, but he can beat him because he's smarter. Yeah. So he's like, I'll drop Lois Lane out of a window, he'll snap out of the Poison Ivy thing, and it'll be fine. And he's like, hey, Hopefully. Catwoman, just checking. Could you catch her if you drop her? And Catwoman's yeah. like, yeah, probably. <laughs> so it's like, all right, it's like a 50-50. Yeah. She might die. 
So he goes out into the street, and he's like, hey, what the fuck's up, Superman? What's going on? Superman's just like... Like, Batman is totally prepared for the exact sequence that Superman will attack him, because he knows him so well. Yeah. He's like, all right, he's gonna... He's gonna Use his laser eyes first. Yeah, he's going to so, laser eye yeah, first. He's like, he's going to laser eye, so yeah. I'm going to make sure that I have a plan for that. And he goes, he's mentally prepared for it, and he dodges the laser eyes, and then he does this and progressively. So he's like, okay, he's going to use the laser eyes. I'm going to make sure I stay in the sewer to start with, take off some gas mains so that there's some gas coming up, go out, fight him. He's going to use the laser eyes. It's going to create an explosion that will distract him so I can get close enough to neutralize the laser eyes because he's not going to do it because he doesn't want to hurt me. Yeah. Just a slow progression of like him systematically taking him out. Till he just clocks him in the face with the kryptonite ring. Yeah. Long enough for Catwoman. And it's just this slow, methodical conflict of... Here's a man who has spent his entire life preparing to take out his only friends in the world. Yeah. And it's that conflict that's like... This dude is fucked up. Like, Batman's a <laughs> fucked up guy. Yeah. And you can put that rough. in any context. It like, doesn't matter what the character is and what the situation is. That drive for someone to be that well prepared to fight their best friends... Yeah. Is a special kind of psychopath. Yeah, it's a well. I mean, it's a special kind of preparedness. Yeah, and it's like yeah. that. It's it's just one of the best. I mean, it's it's one of the best Batman comics. But I think it's a good example of the conflict in that works not because it's Batman versus Superman, but because it's like Bruce Wayne versus one of his oldest friends. Yeah, and it's like okay, he's he, it's it's him versus one of his oldest friends, and he's using the only person that his oldest friend cares about the most in the world is Bait, and she might die, and it's that that conflict of like. This man who doesn't kill people is pretty much prepared to kill someone just to win a fight against his against best his friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then it works out in the end because of course. he gets really lucky. Yeah. So, he, so he slogs him with the, the K ring. Um, and there's a heartbeat where you're pretty sure Batman's going to die, but he manages to get into some water and he misses getting laser eyed by like that much. Oh, that's good. And he loses like, it like, it like shreds half of one of his legs and he has to go and deal with that for the rest of the comic. Yeah. Or whatever. But like that, that moment of like, ah, that's now something he's going to, that's a hassle he's got to deal with for the yeah. rest of, like, it's just really well constructed. And that kind of conflict, I think if you can, if you can go and seek out good examples of when conflict works, it becomes much easier to understand and construct your own. Yeah. But like you have to, I think like, it doesn't matter if it's dialogue or conflict, as long as two people are going into something with opposing goals even if they're super similar so like even if it's um ben and i both want to get a podcast recorded i might want something different out of it than you might and that yeah. might be the conflict of that or like you're like hey i want to talk about this thing and i'm like nah, that's fucking dumb whatever it is <laughs> like, that conflict yeah find something that works for your characters but the motivation has to make sense someone writes fanfic of us arguing over podcast topics that'd that be so be good do it glorious. send it to us don't make it slash fic though that's weird no but on that note, um, on that <laughs> on disturbing note, note, note yeah. um, I've been David. I'm Ben. Uh, where can people find us? Pot, uh, places. Yeah, good. Um, podcast I'll, at dcm.works. <laughs> podcast at dcm.works for email. Um, Patreon and everything else is in the show notes. Buy some t-shirts if you want. We have yeah. some of those. Or don't. Whatever. Get my face on your tits. Get your face on your face. Shirt. Why would you put your face on? Don't put Ben's face on your face. That'd be weird. She got beanies. Yeah, we should get hats. Um, they don't. Sell, we, don't we don't have hats. In <laughs> yeah, some sick Ben masks. Um, but yeah, this has been um, Offer Artists. And uh, any concluding thoughts? No. No. Sick. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Very, yep. Like well done, and like the gameplay is super fun, <laughs> and like because those three things are there, it's like it's exceptionally good. Hey, I could do it in a heartbeat and make millions, but it would feel like gouging my soul out. Yeah. Jurassic Park's a little more like DDR. If Shrek is a fairy tale creature, can he actually own land and want to kick them off? Where did that come from?
to make a lot of shit up to make good art. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's just the truth. Like, 